0: Callie Reed Adams and her husband John are not strangers to grief or hardship. In 2011, Callie lost her mother to cancer. John's first wife passed away in 2017. When the two met, Callie was a recently divorced single mother of one and together they have blended lives and families. Inspired by her mother who taught her to sing, Callie Reed has released four albums through Deseret Book. Her most recent album, Rejoice, is a collection of her favorite Christ-centered Christmas songs and was released earlier this year. Callie and her husband John are the parents of six children. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so grateful to be here with John Adams and Callie Reed Adams. John and Callie, welcome.
1: Thank, Thank you. you.
0: We're excited to be here.
1: Let me point out, there's six children under the age of 10.
2: Yes, six. Bless so your soul. We haven't soul. slept in a while. <laughs> six, 10 and under. So we're happy to be here that is- a break.
0: Truly amazing. And welcome to date night, everyone. Hey! We're, all, we're glad to have you here. You're all invited. <laughs> um, so I guess, first of all, just as we kick things off, I just wondered if you both have a favorite Christmas memory.
1: Sure. I think, uh, like many of you, tradition is something that's pretty important in my family. And one tradition that we would have is we would go to my grandparents' house And we'd have the same nativity, the same Christmas decorations. And the one thing that sticks out that's just a a very vivid memory to me is every year, uh, my grandmother, knowing that I loved eggnog, she would take me to a different room and she'd always buy me one little pint of eggnog. Which made me feel that I, like I was the most special grandchild of all. So yeah, that's that's maybe one for me. That's
0: amazing, and that actually reminds me of my favorite Christmas memory, which I'll share as Callie's getting set up. But Callie, give us yours. Um, the first thing that I thought of when I, you
2: know, I'm thinking about my favorite Christmas memories is probably not like the best Christmas memory. Is <laughs> my my baby sister? So I grew up with three sisters. There are four girls. We're all really close in age, and um, my baby sister, one Christmas, got grounded on christmas eve and she was i think she was like 7 she was little and so she got <laughs> grounded for you know being crazy and she went upstairs <laughs> and she got this huge bottle of lotion like the costco size bottle and she poured it all over everyone's beds like all over no. our pillows all over my parents phone and they're you know when landlines were a thing like oh, <laughs> and, a receiver. and then she got baby powder and sprinkled
0: baby powder <laughs> I it. don't know whether to be like disturbed or super <laughs> impressed that a seven-year-old came we, up with that I seriously we all I just remember we all went
2: upstairs and it was like <gasps> and I thought my parents are going to kill her that is what is going to happen right now. There's going to be a death in the family <laughs> on Christmas Eve. And it's just to this day, it is so funny to me because she has always just, she is just kind of a wild one. Do you know what I mean? She's actually, she's in a JD PhD program right now in Nebraska, like well, we knew she was smart. kicking tail. Yes, she is amazing. But it is just so funny how from such a little age. And I think another reason that's one of my favorite stories is because my six-year-old has a lot of that
0: yeah.
2: fire in her. And so I just, yeah, it, it makes me think of her. Too. That's
0: hilarious. That's an amazing story. Okay, so Callie, as you some of you heard in soundcheck, she's going to grace us with her beautiful voice. And as you get set up, I will share my Christmas memory, one of my favorites. So my grandparents, their house was always like magical at Christmas time. And they would hire someone, I think it was them that hired the person, but maybe it was a neighbor, to drive down the street with like a horse-drawn sleigh. And one year we were outside and my cousin said, Morgan, look, as Santa's like driving down on the sleigh. And I turned around, and I was so stunned that I just dropped the glass of milk that I was holding, and it, the glass shattered everywhere. Anyway, the eggnog, milk—you know. All right, it was Callie. a
2: real horse, like real horses yeah, real pulling horse, the sleigh? sleigh. Yeah, what? Who we don't does mess that? around in North Carolina. You like, yeah. Take your Christmases very seriously.
0: We do. It's A
2: very serious we- Christmas. <laughs> I suddenly feel very ripped off. Like none of my Christmases were that cool. (laughs) That's
0: awesome. You ready, Derek?
3: Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of Christ is born.
0: See what I mean? I love that song so much. And I love that it says born that man no more may die. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about grief, especially during the holiday season. And let's start, Callie, if it's okay with you. Your mother, Rita McBride Schroeder, passed away in January 2011, which means that you went through at least one Christmas that was probably really hard. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I mean, so my mom was diagnosed several years before, and so she had battled for a few years, but that last Christmas was really hard. Yeah.
0: You describe that season of your life, the time surrounding your mom's passing, both before and after, as a rebirth. What have you learned about the purpose of trials, having gone through that experience?
2: Yeah, you know, I don't know um, that I would call the season, like, of her dying and death a season of rebirth for me. It was more like the season of, like, demolishing, do you know what I mean, that, that set me up for rebirth. I was just talking to my 10-year-old this week. She was saying how sad it is that all the trees are dead. She's like, Christmas is depressing. All the trees are dead. And I was like, you know what's so funny, though, is that they're not. You know, they're not dead. They, they look dead, but they're going to come back in the spring and they'll be beautiful. And I was explaining to her how that's, you know, it's a symbolism. It's this like parallel for us and, and our life experience. And we talk a lot about like death and grief in our family because it's touched all of our children. So for me, I feel like it was that laying waste phase where everything is just leveled. And that really set the stage for me to (laughs) have to redefine everything about my faith. What have I learned about the purpose of trials? (laughs) I could spend a really long time answering that one. I think if I spent so many hard years trying to reconcile a just, loving, merciful God with a God who would allow my mother to suffer so horrifically and still die. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I was holding out for a miracle. I thought, surely, surely God will not, you know, like this torturous experience, like surely there's a miracle coming. Do you know what I mean? And it was so hard to try to understand how God could be loving and merciful and just, and still call her home after everything she had went through. And it really, um, I've done a lot of studying about struggle and about suffering, like in the scriptures and things. And what I believe now is that our progression and our growth spiritually is so important to God. Like this is the why that we become like him, that he is willing to allow us. To have all of these physical experiences that can be so incredibly painful, because that is a part of how we learn to be like the Savior. That's a part of this empathy process. And I think the important thing is that we don't do it alone, that we invite God to walk with us through our struggles instead of just saying, take it, take it, take it, like take it away. Invite him in and say, do this with me. Like, I cannot do this by myself. Like, please carry it with me, Do you know? And it says in the scriptures, like, over and over again, you know, come unto me. And for my, you know, burden is easy. My my yoke is light. Like, come, let me help you do this. And he invites us to walk with him. And I think that that's so important for us to do.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful way of putting that. And I've found that in my own life. There have been times where I tried to carry it all by myself. And then there have been other times where I instantly found myself turning to Christ. And it's amazing. Like you kind of feel like you go down into this hole for a little while, but how much more quickly you make it out when you allow him to toss you the rope or whatever. Right. So thank you for sharing that. You also went through the trial of divorce. What would be your advice or your encouragement to those who might be going through something like that this holiday season?
2: Oh, I know that there are so many of you out there. I get messages all the time from people who are carrying that fun burden at Christmas time. It is so hard. It is the worst Um, I think especially at the holidays when everyone is like love and joy do you know what I mean and you're like my life is over this is the best yay let's sing Christmas songs and um, I think it's hard do you know what I mean like when my mom was dying it was the same thing I'm like everyone is so holly jolly and it is making me extra miserable so if you guys could stop that would be great do you know Um, it's terrible but it's so true I think my advice my encouragement I have a few different things number one One of the number one things that got me through was a really good therapist. So if you are going through a divorce, if you are going through heavy things, get yourself a therapist and make them your best friend. Do it. Go find If you're thinking, I can't afford it, whatever, go talk to your bishop. Go talk to whoever you need to talk to to figure it out. Because like divorce makes you go to the bad place. Do you know what I mean? And so like get some help. Do it for yourself, for your kids, just for yourself. Just do it. The second thing I would say is find a good media outlet that like speaks to your soul. So for me, Christian music, that's a huge one. It's filled with reminders all day long, you know, of who I am to God, how much God loves me, how much I am known. And it's so weird because like, I know these things like in my head, but to really live in the space of, I am a child of God. God knows me. God loves me. For some reason, that's so hard for me to do. And so to have a media outlet for me, like Caleb Radio, I love um, reading old general conference talks. I love listening to, you know, Callie read on Pandora, things like this, you know, really good, really good music. It's just really helpful. It was really helpful to me. And then find something that you love and dedicate yourself to it. Give yourself permission to like develop a new talent I crocheted many blankets during that time of my life where I felt so alone. And um, that's a gift that I have is crocheting things, right? Like, who knew? I don't know. I have many gifts, like, right? Oh, no, I wish I had crocheted this. Yeah, right. That's, like, next level. I mostly do, like, you know, potholders and baby blankets. So, (laughs) If anyone you know in your life needs a baby blanket, I have like 1,700 in my closet from that time in my life.
1: If, if you think about, you know how you, a song gets stuck in your head? If you're listening to good music, there's a, there's a Christian song uh, by Mercy Me that's been in my head all day today. And it says, it's talking about Christ and, it, and the gospel. And it says, it's not good news. It's the best news ever. And that's kind of gone through my head like probably 30 times today because of the hook of the song, right? And here we are at Christmas time. Christmas being like the the big holiday it feels like for for mankind, and it's not good news. It's the best news ever, yeah. right? That there's that we're saved. That yeah. uh, we will be resurrected. That we can find comfort in in times of trial, right? And that that music keeps that line in my head throughout the day. Uh, especially if if you're struggling, it's good to have those reminders.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, like, no offense, Justin Bieber and, like, Taylor Swift, right? But I don't know if, like, the hooks are as helpful necessarily when you're going through a really hard time as the hooks in Christian music, at least, you know, my humble opinion.
0: Yeah. There were a few uh, self-plugs in there for your crocheting (laughs) for the Pandora station. I hope you guys are writing all of these down. (laughs) Please do. Take notes. (laughs) Um, But I think... That is so important, and I hope you guys all caught the plug for therapy because I think sometimes there's a little bit of a stigma a around huge stigma around using that resource. But I also have gone to therapy, and it is so helpful. So let's just get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, at the <laughs> around the same time, John, you were experiencing a different kind of loss. Um, can you share a bit of your experience and what you have learned about loss and grief?
1: Sure. It was, it was probably at a different, it was actually at a different time, but. A little um, bit later, yeah, right? a little bit later. So a few years ago, my first wife, all of a sudden, uh, kind of came down with the, what felt like flu symptoms. And a few days later, we checked into the hospital and with, with a, an ailment that wasn't super serious, but it could become serious. And uh, a few things before maybe I continue there, that week was a very interesting week in my life. My, my whole life to that point was, I don't know, 34 years or so. God had spoken to me somewhat quietly, but through feelings of happiness and peace and calm. And then all of a sudden, that week, he started speaking to me much, much louder. And I think, you know, as we are in a trial or as we are in, in something hard, there's commensurate power out there to help. And so there was about nine days that she was in the hospital And then uh, she passed away. Kind of a very quick, sudden shock. And through that, you know, and through your question earlier to Callie about why why trials or or what have you, I've come to find out that, as Callie mentioned about growth, when things are hunky-dory and smooth, we tend not to look for god we tend not to rely on god but when you know something like this all of a sudden happens you have a choice right you can turn towards god or turn away from god right every day you have that choice and it's my belief that as i turned towards god and every time i took a step towards the light more and more light came into my life peace more understanding more hope, more faith on my part, because you're in that trial, right?
0: Kelly, you've talked about how during that time of your life where you were a single mom, that it was difficult for you to go to church. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you can speak to that, but John, also, I wondered if you went through any of that at all.
2: You know what's so interesting, just to speak a little minute about the grief process. I think John and I had such different experiences, like with grief and loss, and it's really helped open my eyes. I used, I used to be, <laughs> I still am sometimes a little cynical. <laughs> and, um, you know, when people would have these big spiritual experiences around someone dying or whatever, I would get a little bit snarky about it inside myself because that wasn't my experience. My experience felt very lonely. My experience felt like God was very far away from me. And I think, I just want to put out there that I think that there is room for all of our experiences. If you are a person who is in the boat with me, where God feels very far away, I think God is teaching us through that. If you are, you know, in a different boat where it feels like God is very near you and He is carrying you and holding you through it, what a beautiful thing, embrace that. Like, But I, I used to think that maybe people weren't being very honest when they expressed their loss experience that way. And I mean, if I can say anything about John, it's that he is incredibly honest. And so, knowing him and hearing his story and like loving him has opened my eyes to the fact that everyone is blessed and challenged in different ways, and that all of our experiences are equally valid. And there's no need for me to be so snarky all the time inside <laughs> myself. Thank maybe, you. Maybe
1: I'd add to that. Um, you know, I'm not not uh, conveying that taking a step. Towards God in those situations is very easy because
3: right.
1: it's a very hard thing, but in my particular case, and I have uh, some beliefs around this, in my particular case, God became very, very loud, and so so sometimes people have said, "Oh you you showed so much faith, you 're so incredible," and I say, not really. God became very, very loud, and many miraculous things happened, things that I thought could happen, I believed it happened but God became very loud. And so I just followed some of that direction. And as I followed it, more and more light came into my life. But I don't want to, to say taking a step towards God in a really hard trial is like the easiest thing to do. Right. Yeah. Um, right? But I, but I shudder to think, had I taken a step away from God at that time, what my, what my life would look like. It wouldn't look like it looks today. Talking back to that, that week, that first week where certain things happened, there a particular song kind of became my anthem when I would go to the hotel at night. Uh, Lead Kindly Light was that song. And it just had this amazing impact on me. I wrote like a prayer. I, I'd never written a prayer before about this song. And I played it at my first wife's funeral. And then it, it kept cropping up in different, different times uh, fast forward some period of time and I see it's kind of become this anthem for me. And I see a performance of Lead Kindly Light by Callie, mm-hmm. of which I clicked on this link and the feeling in the room just changed. It, just, it was almost like a light was turned on. And so I sent her an email. I just told her, thank you for that experience. Thanks for that great song. A little brief explanation. And God continued to speak to both of us through that. And we were married. A Don't tell women. them how
2: long. Really? A long we're time a later. A long,
1: long time after that. We
2: were very judicious in our choices many months later. Many months
3: later. <laughs> but,
0: yeah. Okay, really quickly, though, I want to get so this is the very happy part of this story. And I want to get Callie, you get a message from a complete stranger. I
2: I don't. It's everything about my experience with dating. John has broken like all of my dating rules ever. I am like the biggest date for a year. People are crazy and they hide it. Don't jump in. Don't do it. I just I can't. Did we want to talk for a quick second about the single mom thing
0: or no? I think we can't. do, but
1: let me just, the, the point I was trying to make <laughs> was...
0: This is John's podcast. Is, We're sorry. all just here for it. No, we the love it. Make, Please, keep it coming. I told her
1: not to invite me, <laughs> was if I'd have taken a step away from God at that point, us coming together and us meeting, that ship might have sailed. Wouldn't
0: have anything. happened. Yeah. Thank you, John. I was just kidding. Don't well, worry. No, You're doing say, a great they're,
2: job. They're, they I'm can edit it. It's the
1: fine. The
0: They'll edit it out. It's fine.
2: <laughs> so, your question was what was my experience in like yeah. the single mom realm? That's not fun in our um, culture. What I found, so I didn't get married until the first go around until I was almost 30, which, you know, the joke I make is that that's approximately like 487 years in like Mormon years, right? Woo-hoo. Like, right? <laughs> It is hard in our culture because there are these expectations and we're so family centric and everything at church is about family and marriage and, you know, all of these things. And it's beautiful and wonderful and great. And sometimes it can make like a whole demographic of people feel very marginalized. Like I don't really quite belong because all of these lessons are not geared towards me. They're geared towards all these other women in the room. And so for me, I would walk into sacrament meeting and like just hide in the back and look out across, you know, the congregation of everyone with their families and husbands and wives and they all have their arms around each other. And I'm like, hey, guys, cool, man, see you later, you know, like just feeling like I so did not belong. And I went from singles ward feeling like I didn't belong, like I was getting really old and freakish there to be married. And it was awesome for a minute. And then it got so not awesome. And then I got divorced. And then that was really hard. I heard a statistic, which I wish that I had with me that I don't, but it was also, I don't even have the woman's name, but she was um, in the general relief society presidency several years ago. Then maybe someone can tell me who it is, but she was talking about how we very often will put ourselves into these groups, kind of like Nephites or Lamanites or whatever. Right. And we kind of like divide ourselves out. Like I'm a married person. So I fit with these people here. I'm a single person. So I fit with these people here. I've been divorced. So I fit over here. And she was saying, it's so interesting that so many of us feel so ostracized and so separate because really the percentage of people in our faith who really fit into that very narrow category of married with children at home, it is tiny. It's so teeny tiny. And yet for some reason, if we don't fit into this little slice, we feel like we are so on the outside. You know what I mean? We can't have kids or we've chosen not to, or whatever it is, like we were pursuing career. I mean, it just it's crazy to me how many other people feel so other and so outside. And she was talking about how, you know, if we really look at our temple covenants and if we really look at these lessons. Everything at church, all of these lessons are specific to you, regardless of your circumstances. Because even if you don't fit into like the ideal mold here in this life, the opportunities that we have in the next life, like this is just, this is like a speck. Do you know what I mean? It's like this big in our eternity, like our life here. So just keep doing what you're doing, stay close to the spirit, like it's going to be okay. And for me as a single mom, and before I got married, even this talk by Sherry Dew called, Are We Not All Mothers? That was a huge like anchor for me and helped me so, so much. So if you're in this space, if you're feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing, or this is really hard, Are We Not All Mothers by Sherry Dew is a fabulous resource.
0: When you were like, do you know what I mean? I was going to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I couldn't <laughs> even do it. I couldn't even do it. Callie, you said that because of your experience with losing your mother, and you've mm-hmm. talked about this quite a bit, that you had intentionally avoided <laughs> dating widowers. Mm-hmm. So let's come back to that moment where you get this message from John mm-hmm. about Lead Kindly Life.
2: Yeah. So it wasn't, I mean, when, when he first messaged me, because I get messages from people and thank you, everyone who ever reaches out to me. I mean, this is my why, right? When I first made my very first album, I didn't have a deal with Desert Book. I didn't know anyone at Desert Book. It wasn't like a thing. You know, no one was like, you should make an album. It was like, I hate everything. I had, I had broken up with a boyfriend. I had saved all this money and I was just going to like buy a house and fill it with cats. You know what I mean? That was like my plan for my life because like, what else am I even supposed to do? I was just, I was, I had finished my degree and I had a career and like, that was my thing. And so instead I took that money that I had for a down payment and I did something totally spontaneous and crazy, which I am not that person. I am the biggest research, read the reviews, make the wise choice, right? Person. But I took all of my money and I moved up into my sister's basement in Utah and I recorded The Waiting Place with the idea that there were so many people, again, who have felt on the outside, like me, who have been in this grieving space where it's not pretty and it's not filled with stories about Jesus answering our prayers. Like it's full of hard for long periods. Right. And so that's where the waiting place came from. So when I get messages from people who are like, your song helped me through X, Y, or Z. I mean, it is like, I can't tell you what that does for my heart. So when I got this message from John, that was a really long tangent to get us here. I'm so no, sorry. But
0: really quickly, if you haven't heard the waiting place, it is one of my favorite albums ever. Like Thank hands you. down. So you should look that up. Yes. (laughs) Or it's here, I'm sure, somewhere.
2: I'm sure it is. And so when I got this message from John, um, and it was about Lead Kindly Light and just this story. And I remember looking at his picture, and it's him and our twin boys. And these little boys, they're so little. They're just these little kids. And I, I clicked on his profile to just see some of his pictures. And I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, these babies are like the same age as my sister's babies. And I cannot imagine like if my sister died, like, oh, and like my heart was just like, oh, like this moment of like, this is so hard. I cannot imagine what this man is going through. And I do that usually when I get messages, I go and like have a little minute and like look at your social media. And then I'll usually like say a prayer, right? For the person and whatever, it's like a part of my process. And so anyways, that happened with John. And it wasn't until we had been messaging for a few hours that I went, I am like messaging this man. Like we've been like going back and forth and I'm sitting there, I remember him like texting. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> no, no. No, 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 no. Because my mom, when my mom died, she died in January. My father was engaged in November, and it was not okay. I was not okay. And it was just not. And I I mean, and my mother, my whoa, whoa, that was weird. I've never done that before. Oh, that's kind of tender. I was talking about my stepmom and I said, My mother, I'm gonna cry.
3: Oh my gosh. Whoa. Sorry. She is
1: wonderful.
2: And I feel so blessed. Oh, to have her. Um, and I was not ready for her. And I was not ready for my dad to be happy. I really wanted him to be very miserable for a very long time. And um, I so (laughs) Christ-like. And um I don't know why I wanted that. Like it somehow like puts more value on my parents' marriage somehow. Do you know what I mean? why do we do these yeah. weird things? Like grief is so weird and can be so ugly. And so I just wasn't ready for her and bless her for being so patient and kind to me for the few years until, you know, I was ready and then we were able to be friends. But that was my thought with John when I realized I was like having this like moment of like, so funny. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, absolutely not. And so, um, so I slowed it down, you know, like I waited 15 minutes before I messaged him again. I really (laughs) took a step back.
3: It's just like,
2: whoa. And, um, one of the things, you know, that I've said before and I'll say again is that I feel like God really blessed me, blessed me with horrible dating experiences for like years. So that way I could recognize like immediately What a gem he is, because every circumstance that he came with was like, no, no, we're not doing that. That's going to be so hard. I'm not interested. The family dynamic, like the crazy, like, no, mm -mm, no. But yeah, then he asked me out like an hour later and I was like, well, I do like sushi.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll
2: go out with him just one time. Do you know what I mean? Because sushi is so good. And we did and we went out and it was like, within 10 minutes, I was like, oh, I am
0: toast. This is great. This is great. Doesn't this story just make your heart feel so good?
2: Oh, thank Um, you so much. Don't encourage me. Why are you handing me tissues? Um, Also, I just want you guys to know that I like throw up in my mouth when people tell stories like this. I don't believe them. I'm like, you're pathological. You have a problem. Do you know what I mean? Where they're like, we met and we just knew. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be sick. Like, I can't, you know, I really am that person because cynical, right? Like, I don't believe in these things. And like, I, I cannot tell you. I just cannot tell you, like, how fabulous so happy and like it is real and it is possible and it is the best
0: thank you uh, john what was going through your head was this like <laughs> a deliberate when you reached out were you hoping that so it would turn into something or as she started responding more were you like oh you better could say be yes something?
2: you better say yes just kidding <laughs> yes i
1: don't know what was the question
0: <laughs> i'm trying to think
1: of my answer um Go ahead. Will you give me the question? Yeah, again? yeah, really? okay.
0: So, when you reached out to Callie, uh-huh. did you think oh, that my. it would turn into something, or were you really just trying to thank her for the song? Because either Try way, to... good move. No,
1: both. So <laughs> um, that week was interesting. So the the recording she did of Lead Kindly Light had been done like four years before, never released, and she never could get her hands on it from the producer, and got her hands on it, released it right before she. Uh, participated in an LDS living video with you guys uh, called "What Not to Say to Divorced People at Church."
0: Fantastic <laughs> yeah. video, it's a good one. And so
1: I, that I saw the two videos of the same day, and so because it was shared like a million times, I think, or, or at that point, and so it hit my feed. So I didn't know she was uh, divorced. I knew she was funny. I knew she was beautiful, and then I had this experience. So so yeah, there was <laughs> there was definitely hope there, but. The initial messages were not intended for that purpose, but I was I welcomed the uh, responses back. And, and I remember, i I've told her many times, I remember the parking spot I was in, I came out of the temple, uh, which is uh, a thing that I was doing a lot at that time. And I uh, came out of the temple, got in the car, and had received a message back. And boy, did my life change from there.
0: <laughs> so walk us through from there to when you got married. <laughs> and That's- then... Very quickly, Callie, you went from being a mother of one to a mother of five. Yeah. How does that work? It's thrilling. It's very exciting. I
2: tell people it's a lot easier physically to have a lot of kids that way. Do you know what I mean? But mentally, I think it's much more strenuous. Um, Yeah, I went from one to five overnight. The good news is that our kids are incredible. They are fabulous. And I feel like a lot of the uh, challenges that are present in our children, I actually struggled with as a child, anxiety and, you know, grief and loss and whatever. And with my love of therapy, I feel like we just were set up in such a way that a lot of the really intense struggle that I know so many people go through with blending like that, I feel like we just had a really good launching pad. And then I, I very quickly became pregnant. And so that was like, I feel like the real, you know, twist was now I'm sick and I've got these five kids. And then I like blew out a disc in my back, had a baby. Then it was six, you know, that's math. Released and, two
1: albums in the same time. Yeah. Released,
2: yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a lot. <laughs> What's the thing? I, there's this thing that I say that's, you know, I used to say that my life was stressful, but I feel so much better now that I call it exciting. You know, it's just really exciting. So you guys should try it. Next time you, you go to stay stressed out, just be like, I'm just, I'm just really excited. I just a lot of exciting things happening in my life. It's thrilling. Do you know what I mean? Let me just try that. See if it helps. I like
0: that. John, <laughs> were you going to add something?
1: Oh, I think I was going to say we were, we were both in our mid-30s mm-hmm. and had lived quite a bit of life to that point. And so I think, yes, it was a huge change but we also came with experience Mm -hmm. of life and hard things and knowing that not everything needs to be fixed overnight. Right. So Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine trying to go from one to five to six at 25. Right. So I think um, a maturity level of just life and growing through things has really helped.
0: Yeah, that's true. Thank you. I have heard you, Callie, talk before. I think it was Time Out for Women. You shared an experience where you kind of realized for the first time that you could relate to John's kids. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Can you share that? Yeah. Questions. That's usually where I start that is just by saying I have so many questions that I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out with God. And for whatever reason, He has not found it fit or necessary to answer my questions. And some of my questions center around my mother and like, why so much suffering had to happen if he knew she was going to die anyways. And I had this really beautiful experience with one of my sons when John and I first started dating that helped me see just this. It was like this little glimmer of like beauty, do you know, in having had the experience of losing my mother. And it was, I think the first time we went to church together. So we had a all five kids. And I for sure thought we were going to break up right afterwards just because five kids on one pew, like <laughs> the thought of it, like made my brain explode. <laughs> and, um, it turns out it's not that bad. It really depends on your kids, I guess. And so, but we were sitting there all together and one of the boys who was just five at that time. Oh, and they're so cute. I wish you guys could see them like these big blue eyeballs and it's really long eyelashes. oh he's So precious And he came and he was sitting right next to me and I had my arm around him. John and I hadn't known each other that long. I think it had been like maybe three weeks. And this little guy looked up at me just in the middle of the meeting and he whispered to me, do you know where my mommy is? And I know. And I looked down at him and said, "Um, yeah, she's in heaven. And he kind of went back to, you know, to what he was doing. And I'm sitting there like just my like insides are like, ugh, you know, this like little boy. And you think about what his experience is with this and like how hard. And anyways, I had this thought that came into my mind and I looked down at him and I said, hey, do you know who's there with her? And he like shook his head. And I said, My mommy. And he smiled and then he went back to what he was doing. And it was just this moment of connection. And I think that that is so much more important than I value on a daily basis, like this connecting with other people. And for he and I, it was like this common ground where we could meet in the space of like shared heartbreak and grief and like sorrow. And it made me feel so much more connected to him. I don't know if it was that experience for him. Do you know what I mean? As like a five-year-old, like he's like, do you have my blue crayon? Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like that's his next thought. Is like, I don't, okay, whatever you're doing. It was so precious. And that's something that's become like a platform for us in our family that we can talk about. We can talk about when my mom died. We can talk about when your mom died. It's this really beautiful, safe space that has been like created that I am so grateful for.
1: Uh, we talked earlier about trials. And, and if you think about the great two, the first two commandments, love God and love thy neighbor, it's amazing what a trial or what something hard, long suffering uh, will do of turning your heart towards God. And then also that shared experience of other people that are going through this mortal experience, that empathy that's created that love that's created for your fellow man, uh, that having gone through hard things, you now can empathize and mourn with those who mourn and really meet those two great commandments.
0: I'm so glad you touched on that because I think that that's something that's so important When we are in the midst of those moments, we often think, you know, why is it that I'm going through this? But recently, I've had some experiences where I realized that it's changing me and the way that I'm able to relate with those around me. And I think that that's true of all of us and why that's so important. How has your marriage strengthened your testimonies of a living God and a Savior who loves us?
2: Oh, man. You know, after having experienced this, you know, these years, really, this like collection of like, I don't know, a little over 10 years of feeling like God was so absent or like turning such a blind eye to all of my pleadings to have more of him. Truly meeting John and being in this family and creating this thing together has reaffirmed my testimony so intensely that God knows me so well the things that I was learning during that huge waiting period the way that I was changing the ways that I was growing the capacity that I was developing like during that time set me up for all of the demands of my life right now and it's it's so many specific things that like I don't even know that we would have time to name all of the tiny, minute details that I feel like God has been so aware of this whole time. And it just took me many years to get to the place where I could appreciate that. But even just John and how, I'm going to throw up by saying the word perfect, but honestly, like how perfect he is for me and what I need as a person, like it is
0: it like blows my mind. John, what would you add to that after you've been just called perfect? No, he
2: is not perfect.
3: Cut he's cut perfect for me. I know
2: what did you say? I that? said you're perfect for me.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, read, the question was, "How does our marriage strengthen my faith in God?" Yeah. Without getting into too many details, I, I said that God started speaking to me very differently, and it was really for a short amount of time. It wasn't. He doesn't speak to me as loudly anymore. Um, but for a, a short amount of time, there were some very direct things that happened, and uh, and essentially they all led me to Cali, and so each step was was my faith was reaffirmed. And in some of the things, even prior to meeting Callie, I think it was a couple, maybe three or four weeks before um, some things that happened spiritually that I started kind of letting my family know, I feel like I'm supposed to start dating. And that came not from me. I came from an experience I had of what was personal revelation. And so I kind of started telling people that. And then a couple things happened in the next few weeks saying, kind of be ready, like she's coming. And I mentioned that, you know, verbally to other people. And then lo and behold, everything kind of came into, came into place. And, uh, so each one of those times that I stepped towards what I was feeling was his voice, it brought me here to, to our marriage and our just beautiful family. And, and, uh, there's a connection, uh, from kind of the result of that faith that I get to see every day.
0: Thank you. Before we get to our last question, I loved a post that Callie put on Instagram earlier this week, and you said, our family situation is different. We're blended after death and divorce, and that kind of blending can be everything from painful to hostile, I should add, before I get to this next part, this whole post was about John's first wife's mother. But the only thing I've ever felt from this woman is love. That sounds like a lie, doesn't it? Like an exaggeration somehow. It's not either of those things. This woman is unreal. When it would be easier, I'm sure, to let grief make our relationship hard, she has always chosen to support and love me. It's truly incredible to consider the burden of loss she has carried in her life, and even more incredible that she's chosen again and again to let grief bring her closer to God instead of turning Turning away from him, even when I'm awkward or feel like I'm failing, even when I'm not sure how to respond or react, she is endlessly kind, and that kindness 100% counts as valuable service in my book. I think this is something so many families, I should say, end quote. That was the end of her quote, but I think this is something so many families go through, and especially in the wake of loss, it can be so hard to extend that kindness. You talked about with your stepmom, and I think that's normal. (laughs) Like, I think that's the normal reaction. But what has that meant to you? And what has she done to demonstrate Christ-like love to you and your family? And I'd love to get John's take on that as well.
2: You know, um, I think the thing that it immediately makes me think of um, is my response to my stepmother. And how <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't unkind to her, to her face. I was <laughs> like, and I didn't know her. That's the thing is that I would always say, I don't know her. I don't, I don't want to know her. Um, <laughs> and And I had a good boundary for myself and I communicated that. And I, I'm grateful that I had that boundary for myself so that I could honor my own emotions and my own experience and that, um, instead of feeling like I needed to do something for someone else, cause that can really like mess you up if you're grieving. But I think about her name is uh, Teresa. And I think about just her kindness from the very beginning. She, um, she has just been so kind (laughs) coming from my experience and knowing how intense that sorrow of loss can be, and how sometimes just a person being there where your loved one used to be can be so painful. It really has blown my mind over and over again, just how kind she chooses to be and how separate. I don't know if it's work for her to make it separate, but she somehow is able to separate her grief in losing her daughter and her love for me. And it's, it's a gift in my life that she chooses and is able to be that way. And in my mind, I think one of the most Christ-like things that she does is extend that kindness. I think so often (laughs) we undervalue kindness in a world that is so sarcastic, that is so quick to judge, that is so quick to, you know, belittle or demean for the sake of like a punchline, right? Like that's where we are in our society right now. This is the way that we deal with each other. This is the way we deal with things. It's very popular to be this way. And to be kind truly kind to other people always. That is not very like cool right now, even among adults. Like I'm not just talking about teenagers. It's not very cool, but it is so powerful. If we could all just be a little more kind, our world would be a much more
0: Christ-like place. John, what would you add to that?
1: Um, I remember a, a talk by Elder Jeffrey R. Holland and he, it was about angels among us. And, and I remember thinking of the word angels and those that are not living. And then he added uh, at some point in the talk and those who are alive, you know, that, that are the angels in our lives that are um, living. And Teresa is truly that from you know way before any tragedy she's always been that and the strength that i gained through my relationship with her um especially after that tragedy she essentially put me on her shoulders and just carried me around for a while. And not just her, my own mother, sister-in-laws, friends, neighbors that would come over and do my girl's hair before school. So many people stepped into that role of love and support. And it was just amazing to see. And there's no way to thank those angels other than just give them that love back.
0: Thank you. I think that if you walk away with nothing else tonight, I hope that you walk away with the reminder that this Christmas, while there are many of us who are very happy and joyful, that there are others around us who are struggling and who may need an angel in their lives. And so I guess that would just be my challenge as we wrap this thing up before we get to our final question is just that Go and be an angel to someone else this Christmas because certainly we are in need of more of those. Callie and John, first, thank you so, so much. I know that these are very personal experiences and you have been so gracious in sharing them with us. The last question is the question that we ask on each episode of this podcast, and it is just what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ?
2: I saw a quote the other day, I think it was from Patricia Holland. I actually posted it on my Instagram, if anyone cares to go read it. But she said, have, we must have the courage to be imperfect. I think to me, being all in in the gospel means that I am willing to embrace all of my weaknesses, my Imperfections, all of the ugliness that I perceive in myself, all of my failings, I am willing to look at those things and to give them to God and to let Him do with them what He will to create in me a more Christ like person, to not run away from the challenges, not run away from the hard things, but to like embrace myself, love myself, and to love God enough to let him see all of those things and then work in me through all of those things. And yeah, I think that in essence to me is the gospel because that's when we do that, that's when all of these other things, you know, loving God and loving others and service and repentance, all of those things kind of fall in place when we're willing to be that um, vulnerable and authentic with our God.
0: That's beautiful. John?
2: John?
1: One thing that impresses me about uh, other Christian faiths are when they're verbalized things of you know I don't know hallelujah per se, or but on a daily basis, I have some some friends and they'll're just they wear it on their sleeve that you know Christ is, is the Lord, and I think to be all in is to truly have faith in Jesus Christ and to try and do. That which you feel like he would have you do. Uh, you know, at Christmas time, we, there's so many things, there's so many parties, there's so much. And if we on a daily basis can connect to the reality that Christ is the Lord and that it's not just good news, it's the best news ever.
0: All right. So Callie is going to sing for us. And then Callie, if you'll come back over when we, when you're done and we'll do a, we'll record a little extra and then Callie will do a signing for us.
2: This is a song that I actually wrote. This is based on some of my favorite scriptures in third Nephi, the scripture where I don't even know who it is. Oh, I'm not righteous enough. There's a man in the scriptures who's having a prayer answered and he's a prophet it's third Nephi, so maybe it's a man named Nephi, but the people are facing certain destruction unless the sign of the Savior's birth is given. And in answer to this, like, really intense prayer, the scripture comes, the voice comes, and it's Jesus Christ answering this prayer. And he says, lift up your head and be of good cheer, for on this night shall the sign be given, and on the morrow come I into the world. And that is, like, my favorite. Th- favorite Christmas story. It is so full of hope. And so this song, I know it's like a little like jazzy Christmas tune, but that's what the song is based on is this scripture. And truly, even though some of our Christmases are harder than others, there is good, good news. There is hope in the Savior's birth. So this is Heaven's Here. Mm Also, there's an adorable music video that has all of my children. If you care to watch it, it's on YouTube.
3: Every promise made from God from the beginning, beginning to come true. Forever sadness. Every soul waiting in darkness. A light is breaking through. On a midnight clear, heaven's here. Lift up your head and Stable, to see the Christ child born. No outcast or forsaken all have refuge in him. We find it every Christmas more. Each beloved near voice that every song sings Hallelujah to our King Heaven's here, The the darkest Christmas night can be forever brightened by His light see the star appear Heaven's here Heaven's here
2: Nina
0: Yay! We are so grateful to Callie Reed and her husband, John Adams, for joining us on today's episode. You can find Callie's Christmas CD, Rejoice, in Deseret Bookstores now. And a very special thanks to our live audience. If you live in Utah, you can catch Callie again at the Deseret Book Christmas events happening throughout the month. Visit DeseretBookChristmas.com for more information. Merry Christmas, everyone!
3: Yeah, yeah.